I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, a look at the calendar shows it's September 17th. That means six months have passed since that fateful day when Bay Area residents were ordered to shelter in place to avoid the coronavirus. What some people assume would be temporary has become our new abnormal, with masks and social distancing, kids remote learning, offices closed, and thousands and thousands of people out of work. Our guide to the pandemic is here. That's health reporter Aaron Alday to talk about what we've learned and how that may apply to the six months ahead. Aaron, thanks for coming back. Hi, Damien. Thanks for having me back. Aaron, six months have passed, and yet we are not in the podcast studio, but we are talking on Zoom, recording each other separately. We're going to send the audio to a podcast producer somewhere else. We're both sitting at home. Um, Did you think that we'd still be in this position this far in? Uh, You know what? I did not. Um, I, I'm almost embarrassed to admit that right now, but, um, but I was definitely, I remember people asking me back in March and April, you know, when do you think we might be back to work? And I was like, well, I think probably like June or July. I even had a trip to, uh, Hawaii planned in late July. And I was, I was feeling like maybe that was doable. Like I, I was feeling not confident, but okay about it. And now I look back and it's just laughable. (laughs) Wish, wishful thinking. Okay. Aaron, I want to, I want to take you back. Okay. Six months, where were you when everyone was ordered to shelter in place? So six months ago, I was at home. The The Chronicle newsroom had already been sent to work from home, actually just a few days before. Um, I think it was a, a Wednesday um, that, that we were told, you're not coming back, um, and we don't know when that's going to change. So we'd only been working from home a few days. I was at home. I got a call at about 6.30 in the morning from a source with the San Francisco Public Health Department telling me that the order was going to be coming um, later that morning or la- that afternoon. Um, told me that it would be six Bay Area counties, that it was going to affect, you know, we did the math, it was going to be 7 million residents ordered a shelter in place. Um, And I just remember thinking when I got that phone call that I was both like utterly shocked, but also not surprised. It was like, I kind of sensed that this was coming, that we were headed in that direction. And I was still just like just couldn't wrap my head around the fact that we were there, that this was actually going to happen, that this unprecedented um, shelter in place order was going to be coming down. And I remember feeling actually kind of shaky about it. Um, Not like a scared shaky, but just it felt so surreal. It was like I couldn't really wrap my head around it. Um, And then I called um, various bosses and told them and, you know, we kicked it into gear from that and started, uh, started writing a story. But it was just um, that whole day just felt like I can remember it very in, in a lot of detail exactly how it went down. But it's definitely from that, like, that weird kind of foggy bubble of um, just kind of disbelief. Like, it just felt like that whole day, like, this, this is this really happening? <laughs> yeah, and it was six counties at first that day, right? Correct. Yeah. Okay. And looking ahead, I mean, why wasn't it temporary um why didn't it why wasn't it something that just lasted for a few weeks or a couple months so one thing i noticed when they announced the order was that they didn't they didn't well actually that first order they did put a date on it and um i can't remember off the top of my head what it was but it was definitely understood that it was there was a date but that that was probably going to be extended and then of course when gavin newsom announced a statewide order a few days later he didn't actually put a date on it it was just indefinite and i remember having conversations with some experts at the time about how long this would be going on. And there was definitely this sense of, 
we don't know. I mean, it's kind of indefinite, but at the same time, you know, in fact, yeah, now I do remember that, that San Francisco and the other counties, they did say, you know, I think it was like a couple months or something that it was going to last. And I think that was mostly for people's sort of sanity um, to kind of, it's really hard to say you're going to be stuck at home and sheltering in place and this thing is going to be raging outside for we don't know how long, you just sort of for people's mental health, you kind of need to give them an endpoint. But of course, as this thing is stretched out, I think... I think all of us at varying stages have sort of come, you know, to that understanding and, and actually more like come to that acceptance that this is, you know, I hate to be the cliche, but it's the new reality um, that this is where we're going to be living for quite some time. And, you know, we keep getting little hints of that along the way, you know, like, okay, clearly, you know, reopening didn't go that well. Um, and even when we did reopen, there were still a lot of changes that were going to be in place, um, you know. At some point, it was, we're going to have to be wearing masks everywhere. And people realized, oh, I'm probably not going to be going back to my office maybe this year. Um, kids might not be going back to school for, you know, certainly the start of the year, but maybe not through the end of this year. I mean, there's just, there's there's so many questions. And I think we've all come to that kind of place of understanding that, that understanding this is a very long haul um, at sort of our own pace, kind of the way people deal with any sort of, you know, shock and grief and you know, anger and all of the the things that go along with that. I don't know. That's not a very good answer, but, um, you know, there's not really a clear way to say, you know, we've all been kind of learning as we go, basically. Yeah, we have. I got to tell you, I was on Maui, you might um, recall, when the order came down, and um, which was incredibly bizarre. Felt like I was the last person on earth who was going to be taking a vacation and, and felt guilty. Guilty um, how? Like, why would you feel guilty? It just, it, it it felt all of a sudden like that that there was this reality that had descended on on the world. And here I was, you know, looking out at a beach and that I somehow shouldn't be there, um, probably shouldn't have been there, uh, to, tell, to tell you the <laughs> truth. But people started, some of the Hawa Hawaiians started um, picketing, you know, go home, um, because they were they were really hoping to steer clear of the whole thing. Um, yeah, but it was just bizarre. I felt like I'd, I'd fallen off the end of the earth. That would be really hard. And it'd be really hard to be away from home and to kind of not know what you're going to be returning back to, right? Yeah, no, it was bizarre to fly to fly home and, you know, feel suddenly vulnerable on the flight um, to, to kind of return to the Bay Area, which is in this totally different reality. Um, yeah, it was definitely sort of a flight across almost like, you know, it was like time travel in a, in, in a way. Um, well, and but, you had you know, been, and, yeah, you had been in a different job and covering kind of different things at the time and maybe weren't quite as immersed in it as some of the rest of us. Oh, God, if I had been at the Chronicle at that time, I would have felt really guilty. Um, <laughs> really guilty. Okay, so also thinking back to that time, you know, it it, it is almost um, easy to forget how crazy those initial days were. Um, we didn't even really know how to obtain food um, or go about our everyday lives. It's true. I mean, there were, there was we were figuring out a lot as we went um, in those very early days. I think all of us remember. I mean, you know, toilet paper was just for a while there. You just couldn't get it. I couldn't find flour for a lot. I remember going on a finding finding this jackpot of like big unmarked bags of flour at a Safeway and I bought like two of them and they were giant. They were like, I don't even know, like 
10 pound bags are probably not that big. Um, but I bought like two of them so I could bring one to my sister because it was just so hard to find. And of course everybody was baking bread, but, um, but yeah, and then, and then of course in those early days we weren't wearing masks. Um, you know, we didn't necessarily know like how far apart we should stand. How do you maneuver a lot, you know, with each other in kind of public place, public spaces, um, there were just so much, there was so much confusion and so much uncertainty and fear and anxiety um, just about how to do things that really marked those early days. Yeah, I still remember the feeling when I saw a toilet paper at a Target that I went to, the the, the feeling of accomplishment. And I, I bought it and I still have it because it's extremely low quality toilet paper. <laughs> and my my wife is really upset that it's still in the house. She says we can buy better toilet paper now, but I refuse to to let it go to waste. So it's it's sort of lingering in the back of uh, of the uh, of the cabinet. You know what's funny? That reminds me that early in the early days, I was working I was working insane hours, like just around the clock. And I more than once I had people drop off care packages for me, and they always included a few rolls of toilet paper because they knew that I wasn't able to like get out and like take care of myself much i think jill tucker did that a couple times um just uh family friends various people left me toilet paper because um because i didn't have time to go i didn't i didn't have time to go to the store but i also didn't have time to do that that search around town for the toilet paper yeah no it's a big deal it takes a lot of time <laughs> um, all right aaron well let's take a quick break when we come back more on the six month anniversary of the bay area's shelter in place order right after this We'll be right back after a short break. You can support Fifth and Mission and the newsroom that creates it by signing up for unlimited Chronicle access at sfchronicle.com slash pod. Welcome back to Fifth and Mission. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined by health reporter Aaron Alday. Aaron, for this story that you wrote about the anniversary, you talked to a lot of different people who are who are sort of reflecting on the six months. And you, you even talked to a futurist, you talked to someone who, who is in palliative care, which is um, trying to make the best of, of really difficult um, medical situations. Um, what did they talk about in the way that people have, have adjusted to the new reality? They had a lot of really interesting th to things to say that that resonated with me personally. Um, I always enjoy these conversations with folks because um, they get kind of philosophical. And it's it's I think we're all one of the things that, that a lot of folks talked about and I think we can all relate to is we're in this sort of reflective place. You know, we spend so much time in our homes, in the same space with the same people that I think we do kind of and there's and there's so much going on so much chaos so much crisis not just the pandemic that we spend a lot of time kind of thinking these things through and so I think it's normal for people to do that kind of reflection but you know one of the a few of the constant things that came up is you know this kind of idea of resiliency um and that you know for all that I mean there's obviously a lot of privilege and not everybody you know is so comfortable but but for most of us in this country we've been in this pretty stable steady place for for generations where we feel like we have control over our lives over our world um you know there's a certain safety and security in our futures um even despite you know all of the different kind of trials that that have come and gone over the years but at the but at its core there is sort of a a security in this country among among people and you know here this virus comes along and really shakes that up in a big way i mean our lives are completely upended and just you know over over a matter of days and and we don't know when they're going to be the same again you know to to lose like 
relationships to not know when you're going to see your family, your extended family, or even your close family in some cases. Um, people, you know, have already lost birthdays and holidays and summer trips and just, you know, a lot of things that that bring us comfort. And then, of course, you know, the loss of jobs, the loss of um, that kind of financial security, kids losing school. I mean, there's just there's so much that we've lost. Um and I think one of the big things that comes up is that we need to give ourselves space to to acknowledge that and to grieve it, to accept that that's, you know, that is a legitimate loss. And and that's that's obviously aside from the fact that you know we've lost almost two hundred thousand lives um, in the United States, um, over thirteen hundred people in the Bay Area alone. Um, so there's that actual loss of people who have died from COVID nineteen. But you know, even those of us who haven't experienced that closely have lost just so much of our lives. And I think people really are, you know, we're that's, that's weighing heavily on everybody now. Um, and it's not, there's, there's anxiety, but really I think there's a lot of just grief that's happening, um, now. And, and that really kind of, that resonated just to, to think about it, to acknowledge it and to, to feel that kind of collectively that we are all kind of in the same space and, you know, we can move, we can move forward with that together. Um, not to get too kind of wonky. (laughs) You you mentioned the the deaths in the Bay Area. It's obviously a very high number, but in some ways the Bay Area has done better, right? And yeah, in many ways, yeah, that's actually a very low number compared to you know what they've seen in most other, pretty much every other major metropolitan area. So what did we do? Um, you know, we did. I mean, a lot of it people credit to the very early shelter in place orders. We were the first in the country to do that, um, if only by a few days or maybe a week or so. Um, but nonetheless, people think that that really made a difference. Um, you know, we also got lucky in that we didn't have like a major super spreader event kind of early on. Um, a lot of folks say that one of the turning points for the Bay Area was that we lost the Super Bowl. Um, because if we had won, there would have been a big parade and that could have been a super spreader event right there. But that was something that never happened. So we might have, you know, avoided a fate at like New York because of that. Um, but, you know, that's what it comes down to is that we and this this goes back to the shelter in place order is we have very um, assertive and also very conservative public health officers here who um, have a deep history in working with the community, being being trusted by the community. And really, this goes back to the HIV AIDS epidemic of the 80s. Um, people in the Bay Area know and respect um, our public health and our science leaders. Um, you know, we are driven by the science. We trust the science when our public health you know, leaders come out and say, this is what needs to be done, then we we believe them. Um, we don't necessarily always do great at following along when it's hard to do. So things like wearing masks all the time or, you know, not hanging out with our friends. We haven't been, you know, A plus about that, but we've been a lot better than a lot of other places because at the core, we understand why it's important and and we do kind of want to do right by us. All right. So looking ahead, Aaron, this this piece was a chance to to unfortunately look ahead and 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 see that we've got another six months coming up. Um, you write that there's a lot of tests coming, including the holidays, um, including school. What are we looking at? What does the next six months look like? Uh, so the next six months, it's, you know, like a lot of things with this pandemic, it's, it's, you know, it's hard to say anything with any certainty. So always have to put that caveat in there. Um, that being said, I think that people do feel like we we know how to 
we know how to live with this thing now. We don't necessarily do it well, like I just said. We don't always do it right, but we do know how to live with it. Um, and I think the hope is that the next six months are going to be, you know, at least a little bit smoother than the previous six months. We won't see, at least in the Bay Area, these kind of big surges and and then drops and forced back into shelter in place completely, um, you know, a closing down of, of things so that, you know, they might be a little bit more even keeled. Um, you know, maybe I think there's some hope that we'll see some kids, at least the, the the younger kids going back to school, um, you know, that we we might be able to do, you know, some more of our normal activities, start doing, you know, going to indoor restaurants. Um, you know, we're seeing already some of that happening in, in some of the Bay Area, and I think we'll, we will see a little bit more of that. Um, but also just sort of that comfort level, feeling like, okay, I, I'm comfortable now, I understand better what's allowed and what's not allowed, and I can live with that. I can live with that knowing that it might be for another year or so, um, but at least now people kind of, I think they have a better sense of the parameters of life, which there's there's a security in that, right? Like there isn't as much sort of deep uncertainty about what's in the immediate future. Um, I think the challenges are going to be, you know, the holidays are going to, I think, are going to be really rough. Um, I think they're going to be hard no matter what. They're going to be hard because people do what they should do, which is stay in their in their household clusters and not, you know, get out and see relatives, which is going to make for you know, for a lot of people, a really trying time, a really kind of sad and unhappy holiday. But, you know, the other alternative is not good, which is that people don't want to do that and they get together with families and then we have another surge in cases. So I think either way, the holidays are not going to be a fun time for us. Um, you know, and then the other big kind of question mark is what happens with the flu season. Um, and we don't know what's going to go on there. It could be that we have a really great, very light flu season because everybody's wearing masks and staying away from each other. And so we don't get a lot of spread of disease and it ends up being a no big deal. And everybody gets their flu shot, by the way. Or it could be that it's just a total disaster because we get a really serious flu season um, that doesn't respond well to the the flu shot. And we have that on top of COVID. And that's that's definitely a big question mark, a big concern for folks um, about the, the next six months. Okay. But to be clear, we're not going to be out of this thing in six months. Oh, definitely not. I would say definitely not. I mean, there was a lot of conversation, you know, there's been a lot of conversation recently about the vaccine situation um, and the potential to have a vaccine um, approved, you know, before the election, um, conveniently or not. Um, I think the folks that I talk to when this this comes up a lot in interviews and conversations think that even if we do see a vaccine um, approved that early by the end of October, or early November, um, we're just not in a situation that that would be something that we could give to people widespread. Um, and in fact, there is, I've written about this in the past, there's so much work that has to go into distributing a vaccine that just to kind of manufacture enough supply to get it out to communities to figure out how to deliver it to people, it's almost certainly going to be a two-shot vaccination. So then that kind of doubles, you know, the issues because everybody's got to get it twice. Um, there's just a lot of complicating factors that mean it is almost certainly not going to be something that gets out to most of the population until, you know, well into next year, well into 2021. And then, you know, that's that's assuming we don't we don't know how effective whatever vaccine we get will be. So it's probably not going to be, you know, it's not going to be a 90%, 100%, you know, permanent immunity. Um, it's going to be some kind of, you know, 50, 60 percent gives pretty good immunity kind of situation. And so we're still going to have to do a lot of, you know, the the typical stuff, the wearing of masks, the social distancing, the contact tracing, all of those measures to really get this thing down on top of 
the vaccine. The, the, the vaccine will get us there. It'll get us to an end game. It's just going to take a long time and it's not going to do it alone. All right. Enough bad news, Aaron. Uh, in this piece, you also spoke to a lot of people who looked at everything we're going through, whether it's the pandemic, the wildfires, a divisive uh, presidential election. Um, but you found some hope there that that there might be some good to find. Yeah, I think one of the things and this is something that I think a lot of us are feeling is, you know, we've had a lot of a lot of crisis this year. We've had Black Lives Matter protests um, in response to to police violence. Um, we've had the the wildfires and all of this terrible pollution um, that's, you know, tied to climate change. And now this pandemic has, you know, really exposed these like deeply embedded um, racial disparities. Um, we've seen it play out really dramatically in the fact that that Black and Latinx communities are really bearing the burden of disease in this pandemic. And I think one of the things that, you know, what folks are thinking is that this is all so striking and so in our faces on so many different fronts, and we're all feeling very angry and emotional about it in a way that this might be the thing that finally kicks us into action. Um, and it is sort of like this cascade effect, right? Like, you know, we can't ignore climate change anymore. And if we're going to address climate change, well, then hell, let's let's talk about racial disparities. Let's talk about, you know, violence against black people. Let's talk about fixing our healthcare structures so that we don't have, you know, so many communities left, left out and left behind. Um, and also the fact that, you know, speaking specifically to the pandemic, in order to to fix this pandemic, to end it, we have to address health disparities because the people that are carrying the burden of disease, you know, again, they are these kind of Latinx and black, black communities. So to end the pandemic, we just simply straight up have to face these disparities head on and we have to fix them. And the hope is that in fixing it for this pandemic, that maybe we'll make some permanent change there um, and that maybe we'll actually see, you know, some things come out of this that that really make us, you know, better and brighter for our long-term future. Um, I think there is a lot of hope that we we could see some real some real structural change that people have wanted for a long time and have craved, but it's hard to do. It's hard work and it's easy to kind of look away and now we can't look away anymore. I feel like you just gave me the energy to get through the next six months. <laughs> you are most welcome. <laughs> All right, well, let's end it there. Thanks a lot, Aaron. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much, Damien. Thanks to my guest today, health reporter Aaron Alday, to King Kaufman for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.